So, a question came up as we've been digging through Ruth, and if uh, you're not too familiar, please forgive me. Hopefully I'll help you catch up with some of the details along the way, but we've been at this now for five or six weeks. So, um, one of the questions came up, if God is a God who is totally sovereign and in control, if he rules, if he provides and brings that providence near for the good of his people, how does that work with our choices? Does it mean we're merely chess pieces? Does it mean that we don't have any responsibility? Does it mean that our choices are invaluable? Case sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Well, I'll have a little bit of fun with a story that John gave me, and I think it's great. That sort of opens up this one a little bit, okay? John's already smiling because he knows the story. This, one, this is one of those stories that tickles John. Us, the rest of us will be just sitting there playing face, but John will be tickled by it. Maybe Kathy because she laughs at anything. But anyway, let's carry on. Um, Harry was going to church... He was thinking twice about it, not too sure whether to go, because he'd been feeling a bit lonely without a girlfriend. He pulled out of his drive in his two-seater sports car, grateful that he had repaired the leak in the hood. It had been raining heavily since dawn and showed no sign of relenting. And as he turned the corner into the main road, he saw ahead of him three figures, huddled forlornly under a single umbrella beside the bus stop. They were all familiar because they all attended Harry's church. The first was old Mrs. Fosdyke. She was well over 70 and suffered great pain from her uh, uh, rheumatics and arthritis, which which he, he knew was always worse when it was damp weather. The second was Dr. Roberts, the local GP. Harry, as good as owed his life to this man, because a year before he had been diagnosed with a rare and dangerous illness that Harry had contracted, Uh, on holiday in the tropics and had successfully treated it. The third in line was Julia. Harry had entertained a burning passion for Julia ever since she'd come to live in the area, though secretly, for as yet, he hadn't found an opportunity to ask her out. Harry glanced at the solitary space in the passenger seat beside him. He had only a few seconds to make his decision, but it was enough. With an impressive screech of the brakes, he drew up at the bus stop. Magnanimously, he presented the keys to Dr. Roberts. Attentively, he lowered Mrs. Fosdyke into the passenger seat. Then, with a modest wave, he bid them goodbye while he huddled close to Julia under the umbrella, praying earnestly that the number eight bus would be even later than usual this Sunday. And he's he's gone. He's laughing anyway, he's out of the back room, he hasn't even heard it. No, they didn't laugh like you did, mate. But what do we get the point? Here's a guy, here's a guy, you get the point of the story? Here is a guy who's, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to church, not going to look great, and then all of the things have been put there in place, yet, he still had to get involved and make a decision to screech the brakes. He still had to use his ink, didn't he? So what is the point here? That God is sovereign and provides... But it also involves our participation. It never overrules our choices. God knits together all of our choices in such a way to ensure that his purposes are brought about. And we're just going to spend 20 minutes looking at that by flowing through the book of Ruth a couple of times. And I've taken the headings, the three headings for today, I've taken to make up, there we are, the verse that I want you to go away and remember. God works in all things, is point one, for the good of those, point two, who love him and are called according to his purpose, point three. Now, let's dig straight in there. So, number one, 
uh, in all, God works in all things, or actually in the verse, all thing, in all things God works is the way it should be. So here's the question then, okay? Do you want, do you want it in a common or garden language, or do you want your, your posh theological question first? Do you want it easy to understand, and then use the posh language? Or do you want me to use the posh language, and then show how great I am by putting the even language? Which would you prefer? Okay, we're going to have posh first. Okay. Is God sovereign providing for his people causal or permissive? David's laughing because he thinks he knows the answer. Oh no. He said, okay, Steve, please tell us what gobbledygook you just said. Okay, this one. Does God, when he provides for his people, in the directing of his purposes for his plans to redeem this lost world, to do good to you and me, is it causal i.e., does he make it happen, or is it permissive, does he let it happen? Do you get the difference? Is he always behind absolutely everything, because let's face it, I've had some horrible things I've faced this year. Or does he sort of nudge things in the right direction, sort of, is he permissive, you know, he allows it to happen um, in one way or another. Hmm? You get that? Now, some of you were asking that question, I understand, in one of your Bible study meetings. How does this work? Because it has quite an important impact. Because if he, is, if he makes things happen, that can fill us with confidence that everything's going to be okay eventually, but it sort of doesn't that downplay our part in it and make us feel a little bit like pawns on a chessboard. And if it's, um, he lets things happen, it's like, uh, wow, I, I've got a real part to play in the choices that I make. And then suddenly we look in the mirror and think, I'm not very good at making choices. I'm, I, I'm lacking in a bit of confidence here. So which one is it? Okay. Well, the book of Ruth, I think, makes it absolutely plain. God makes things happen. He does it. Uh, it's shown in a couple of ways in the book of Ruth. Do you remember the two verses in the book of Ruth that very clearly and very plainly are God's involvement? One is chapter 1, verse 6 where we're told quite plainly, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Yeah? So God provided food for the people. And the other one is chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and give birth. So in other words, here was this woman who'd been married for a number of years, not had any kids, and it's honeymoon baby time. And the narrator tells us that is the Lord opening the womb. The Lord did it. He intervened. So we see these two points in Ruth. That's one way it's shown. But also the narrator shows God's involvement in, in the bus stop. You know, the three people happened to be standing there. So do you remember in chapter 2, where Ruth turned up and of all the fields of all of Bethlehem that she could have walked into, she had to walk into that one. There's almost a wry smile on the, uh, on the narrator's face. As it, well, in some translations, chapter 2, verse 4, actually says, As if by luck, or if you remember the old Mr. Ben TV program, you know, where, as if by magic, the, whatever the shopkeeper appeared, yeah, we're supposed to sort of like be laughing like that. And the same word comes up in chapter 4, when uh, the fellow walks along to the town gate. It just happened to be that he was there. So we're told that the Lord intervenes and makes things happen and knits things together. So is it merely that he lets things happen? No. He makes things happen. 
And he even makes the hard stuff happen. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty brought misfortune upon me. Now in one sentence, that poor woman who's facing a terrible situation has got her theology totally right and totally wrong at the same time. She is absolutely dead right. Are we okay? Oh, is, it, is that fuzzy? Yeah. Do you want to hit the, the sound of thing? At the same time, she's totally left and totally right. Ah, I said the wrong thing then, you didn't notice? You're looking that way. I'll pause. I'm definitely more interested than a dull buzz, I assure you of that. Do I get a th- thumbs up? Yeah, you fixed it. Well, magic touch. Brilliant. Yes! Haha, cause, yeah, brilliant, providence. Woo! <laughs> okay. So here's Mara, and basically her life has fallen apart around her. And what does she say? Oh, I made a a whole stack of terrible decisions, which incidentally she did. But what did she actually say? The Lord's done this to me. You see, she knows that all things ultimately start with a first cause, and he is the Lord. And that is what is pushed through in this little book, this book of Ruth, which massive things have God worked in the little events of people's lives to fulfil his purposes for their good and for his glory. And we're being told here that the Lord's at work. But poor Naomi only has half the story, doesn't she? Because at this point, when she said that, half of what the Lord's doing, she can't see. She's wrestled it through. She's trying to make sense of it. Why is this happening to me? And she doesn't know because she hasn't read chapter 2, 3 and 4 yet. And we don't know until we read chapter 2, 3 and 4 yet. Maybe right now you're in chapter 1. And you're Mara. Or maybe in June or July or some point this year you're going to be in chapter 1 and you won't know the answer but you will know this. All things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How that works out, we don't know. But I tell you, what confidence to know that even our sufferings and our, our pain and our difficulty are not wasted in the economy of God. Yet, he is the first cause. He, is the, he makes stuff happen. Yet we're fully involved in the choices, both positive ones and negative ones. And we see this through the whole book, don't we? So, uh, let's have a look at some of the positive ones. Ruth chose to return to the place of blessing and take refuge under God, didn't she? Was that a positive choice? Yes. Did it bring blessing? Yes. Who did it? Ruth or the Lord? Wasn't it both? (laughs) What about Boaz? Boaz chose to act rightly towards a woman in need. You can say, well, isn't he good? Yeah, but who gave him the parents he had who taught him to do that? Who was the one who sent him to the field that day, even though he probably thought it was because of some other reason? So, so who put Boaz there? Well, it was Boaz, wasn't it? He made the choice, but both at the same time, you understand that? So what are we learning here? Well, we're learning that actually the life of faith simply looks like this. You do the next best thing in front of your face 
You do the right thing that you know how in the strength that God gives you, knowing his, his provision and His grace, and you leave the outcomes to Him. So what we're here learning here, we're learning there are no accidents whatsoever. I know this might frighten the life out if you want to say it, but it's no accident that you're here today, and it's no accident that you're found in or near speak. It's no accident that the Lord has put you near to this church family. You might think it is. You might think, surely, Lord, it was a mistake. But it's not. You can't wriggle out of it on that grounds. You see, from heaven's point of view, there are no accidents. There are only incidents of design and his overruling. We honestly worship a God who has the whole world in his hands. Now, why is this important to you? Well, because some of you, and this is just one of these terrible, typical Christian things that we seem to do, we sometimes worry that we've missed God's will for us. Oh dear, if only I'd turn left instead of going right when I was 17 and a half and I had the choice. And so often we can live in a state of regret. Or even worse, we can live in a state of bitterness because of choices that other people made for us or to us. And what we're actually learning here is, no, no. The positive choices and the negative choices that we make and others make are all knitted together for the good of those who love God. Perhaps you've made choices. Perhaps you've made bad choices. Perhaps you didn't choose at all. Perhaps you missed his provision and you're sitting there worried sick that you've lost something. You haven't lost the future. And the future starts now. He's big enough to hold all the things together. I watched this in action yesterday, poor Bethany, because of a a constant nagging, was given a great punishment that caused me and Jane loads and loads of delight. We made her mummy for the afternoon and we played the kids. So she had to race round and at every whim respond. So it's like, <sighs> Emily spilt milk down herself. Becky needs the top of a drink. Oh, you need to swallow the plate. Go and put those out there. The bins are still outside. And Nathan's coming home soon. You've got to... She, how did you, she must have done at least 150 jobs in about three hours. And at the end of it, she's like, how does mummy cope? Which is, and it was great for me because both of them were able to do something. I just can't do that. I can do one thing at a time, but even Bethany had the ability to be able to do four or five tasks at the same time. I felt quite inadequate. The Lord can hold a billion things in his heart and in his mind at the same time, juggle them around as if they were nothing, and always do the right thing. You wish you could do that. He actually can. And all of that is being used, we find, for the second point, for who's good? Well, for good. And let's see that in action. Okay? So point two then. For the good of those, and we'll find out who the good of those are, but it's for good, I assure you. Now, this works at two levels, okay? So we saw, and this is why we, we're looking at this end chapter. Flick over to chapter four again, very quickly. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to, to a son. The woman said to Naomi... Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman. That's odd. I thought it was Ruth who just just got married. And in a minute, we're about to hear that it's Naomi who took the child. And all the women stand there shouting, Naomi's got the son. Hold on, she's Ruth's mother-in-law. What's going on there? We're being told that this baby wasn't just for Ruth and Boaz to go, ah, 
actually, this is about Naomi's full, uh, emptiness being made full. Do you understand that? So it's not just that in the little details, as the Lord fixes Ruth, he's also going to use the fixing and the redeeming and the rescuing of Ruth to bring blessing to others, firstly Naomi, but it doesn't stop there, does it? Because then we've got this whole list of names. Who does that list of names end at? David, and why is King David so important? He killed the giant. Why is King David so important? Brilliant, you quote in the, quote in the, the um, Christmas carol, yeah, Christ is born of David, or more importantly, oh, sorry, not more importantly, the, the route through to that is that David is the great king of the Old Testament, if you like, the, the miniature redeeming, rescuing king who prepares us, and is in fact in the line of the ultimate king, rescuer, redeemer, whose name is... Oh, we nearly got a Pentecostal response. I will get one by the end of this year. Okay? So what are we finding out? That this grubby foreigner who may or may not have had umpteen sexual partners before she got married to Boaz, who was destitute down and out, looked upon with scorn, was a, when the, she arrives in Bethlehem was under threat of rape and molestation herself, has now been taken, redeemed, given a husband of character who is in the line of David, who ultimately is in the line of, uh, uh, of Jesus. So through this grubby foreigner, God is going to bring salvation to Naomi, to Bethlehem, to Israel, to the world. Please get this. The Lord is working at two levels, which you can't split. He is always working in the individual. He is working in you and me that we would experience and taste his goodness, his grace, his salvation, his forgiveness, his rescue, that we may be involved in others getting it too. He's always dealing with compassionately in the small that the big picture may be fulfilled. And you say, Steve, why is that so important? Because we forget that. We're quite happy with God being nice to us, thank you very much. And we forget that the reason God is nice to us and is redeeming us and being gracious to us is so that we would get in board and play our part in what he's doing across the world. Whether that is in our neighbour, them tasting this coming king, the Lord Jesus. Or whether it's going overseas, or whether it's buying a pub and using it as a, a way to speak about Jesus to this estate. That is God's big picture. Listen, there's a, there's a book that the elders of the church, as me, John and Kosh, have been reading um, this, this Christmas as a way just to clarify our thinking as to what our jobs are, what our responsibility is as a local church in this area. And there's one quote that just struck me, and I just want to read it to you. And he's, he's just basically outlined that God's plan is to take people like you and me or Ruth and fix us, redeem us, be gracious to us. Let us taste his mercy in such a way that it spills out into others and goes big because God's big objective is the big picture. And this is what it says. The first and most obvious um, conclusion is that if this is really what God is doing in our world, then it is time to say goodbye to our small and self-orientated ambitions and to abandon ourselves to the cause of Christ and his gospel. God has a plan that will determine the destiny of every person and nation in the world. 
and it is unfolding here and now as the gospel of Christ is preached and the Holy Spirit is poured out. Are you still with me? Is there anything more vital to be doing in our world? Oh, yeah, I've got to go and mow the lawn. Oh, I've got to make sure that I've got the right clothes to look at the party and stuff. You know, like, people! Is there anything more vital to be doing in our world? It is more important than our job, our families, our pastimes, yet even more important than the comfort and security of a familiar church life. We need to recapture the radicalism of what Jesus said to the young man who returned, to, to, returned and buried his father. Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What is this telling us about the character of God? He loves everybody else too much to let you sit on your butt. Do you get that? And we're great butt sitters, aren't we? You see, God works in all things for the good of those. So if you're going to taste his grace, I guarantee that you'll be out there giving his grace as well. So who gets it? Let's look at the final one. Last point. Here we go. Last point. Thirdly, God loves all, works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let me get find me right bit of paper. Here we go. Okay. So all things work together for the good of those who? Now this is the extent of the promise. Right, let's, let's have a quick look back, okay? Now Ruth, who is it who gets this? Who is it who receives this goodness? Is it absolutely everybody? Well, let's find out. Well, um, Ruth has to respond to God's offer of grace by faith. How does she do that? Well, to start off with, we find in chapter 2, verse 12, she came to shelter under God's wing. And as she shelters under God's wing, it changes the choices that she made. She made. So to start off with, she came back. And do you remember what she did when she came back at the beginning of chapter 2? She says, I know the Lord has provided a way by which I can have my needs met, which is to go and glean in the fields. He, he said that the poor are allowed to pick up the last little bits. So what I'll do is I'll go off and do that. And so go off and do that. She did. She followed God's way. She tried to be honourable. She trusted. She said, every little thing, right thing in front of me, I'll do that. Now Naomi did exactly the same in chapter 3. She remembered that God had provided a kinsman redeemer. So she said, right, what will that look like? Go and back yourself, put on your fancy CK1 perfume, and go and head over there and see whether you can find that fellow and make him your husband, or propose that he proposes to you. She knew what the law was. She was, she was following God's provision of the Deuteronomic, Deuteronomic, the Old Testament, law. So she did that. Okay? Others, okay? Boaz did the same. He knew what God expected of him. He knew what it looked like to shelter under God's wing, so he tried to act in faith when he had the opportunity to do it. How about some of the, they're not baddies, but the people who drop out the story? Do you remember Elimelech? He decided to walk out on God and head off to the pastures knew where he thought it would align his bank balance. And what happened to him? Dead. Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, she had the opportunity to go God's way and end up back in Bethlehem, but she thought roses and horizons were more, uh, sorry, landscape and horizon was more rosy way back in Moab land, and she drops off the pages of the story. What about the dude in chapter 4 who was a nearer kinsman redeemer who could have been Boaz, who could have had his name in the line, but actually he was, oh no, it might endanger my interests. Oh dear, what happens to him? He made a choice. And he drops out the story. 
and he doesn't experience all this good. Do you notice that? What we're seeing here is, as we act in faith and choose in faith to move forward, we experience God working for good in us. Do you see those things happening? Now some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm in trouble now. If only you knew what I'd done this last week, Steve. It wasn't prompted out of faith in Christ. If only you knew the things I'd said, the places I'd gone, the way I behaved, the way I dishonoured Jesus. And here I need to just teach you a very important principle of Scripture. You don't live in the past, although the past can affect you, and you don't live in the future, the future is yet to come. You live in the now. Why do I tell you that? Because the Bible repeatedly tells us the best place to go for it is Hebrews 2-4. to That today is the day of salvation. So the question is not what was I thinking about and how did I choose yesterday. Not what will I choose tomorrow, but what will I choose now. As I hear God's words and as his spirit comes near and presses it onto my heart so I want to respond, the question is how am I responding right now? Today is the day of salvation. So if you're sitting there and thinking, well, I made a decision for Jesus about 17 and a half years ago, oh, it'll all be alright, but that decision you made 17 and a half years ago isn't influencing you acting in active faith today, then you need to say, no, today is the day when I'm trusting Jesus, as much as it was 17 and a half years ago. Or it could be that all this week it's been a total disaster. And you say, I haven't been acting in faith this week, well, what about now? This second... Are you going to cry out for the salvation that Jesus gives you? The promise of coming under his wing as a refugee? That's what we're being encouraged to do. So really, yesterday, as you look back, can you be sure and know that God is working for you at good? Well, you can know it now. As you hear this, you're saying, I want to go his way, to trust him, to shelter under him, experience his good in my personal life and me being used for the big picture purpose, then now is the time to say it. Now is the time to repent of going your own way and say, as you help me, Lord, I want to act in faith towards you. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the word that is used is refuge. And I want to finish on this because this is so important. Back in uh, 2005, September 2005, you'll have watched the same TV stuff I did, which was the uh, Hurricane Katrina. You know, as it battered around um, the Caribbean and New Orleans and that area. Hundreds of thousands of people were displaced by Hurricane Katrina. Um, Many escaped with nothing, lost absolutely everything. They were vulnerable, they needed food, housing, medical care... Uh, There was no money, no police protection. They didn't have any promise of a new start. Um, But a public official got into real trouble in that September because he dared to suggest that those people in continental USA um, be referred to as refugees. Now the term seems to be a little bit demeaning, doesn't it, to be a refugee. Uh, It called to mind sort of degraded conditions in a camp in Africa somewhere or maybe in a refugee camp fleeing genocide that you're utterly at your your wit's end. You've got nowhere else to run. You've got no help anywhere else. And I want to suggest that that's exactly right. A refugee does 
carry the idea of total degradation and utter neediness. But in Christ, it has become an affirmation of glory and hope. Because according to the Bible, each one of us are refugees. That we are spiritually poor on our own and have nothing to offer, utterly desperate and destitute. So a refugee absolutely depends on outside mercies. Absolutely. And if you're a believer, you've found that all you need and more than you can possibly imagine is in the Lord, but only if you'll be a refugee. And that's why I love that, this word in Ruth too. Ruth experiences God working all things for her good and all the people in her family and beyond the big purposes of God. Why? Because she was willing to be a refugee and say, you're what I've got and you're all I need. What's the opposite of a refugee? Well, it's the common modern thing that we're told we've all got to be. We've got to be self-confident, self-sufficient, independent. We've got to have a right to boldly move forward in our own name. We've got to assert our opinion. We've got to have freedom to do whatever we choose as long as that doesn't hurt people, whatever that looks like. To be dependent, though, and we often knock this one around, we need to be dependent on the Lord in prayer. To be dependent on God often implies something warm and comfortable. Can I tell you, being a refugee is not warm and comfortable. It's often dependency finds you often feeling very bad about yourself. You're helpless in and of yourself. You're in desperate need. You feel threatened. You feel battered. You feel vulnerable. You're powerless with nowhere else to turn. Do you get what the Christian life looks like now? The Christian life is a life of making decisions in faith when you don't feel the ability to do them on your own. When you can't do them on your own. So what does a life of faith, what does somebody who who loves God and called according to his purposes does? Well, I'll tell you. When they're angry and they can't handle it, they go to the Lord and say, will you be my refuge for me? I'll take it to you and ask the knowledge of who you are to change me. When I'm facing a life in pain and then struggling to get by day after day and struggling with it, the Lord suddenly becomes the refuge that we run to and say, well, I've got you. You know my pain and you promised me the future of a painless life. Lord, be my refuge as I try to face that now. As I face the angst of people speaking against me in a way that really hurts me and unsettles me or threatens me, I run to the Lord and say, will you be my refuge that I may do the right thing? On my own I have to hit back, but with you as my refuge, you as my protector, with you with your wings over me, I have confidence to act out in faith. And I could go on with all those examples. Do you see that actually taking your refuge in the Lord is in the small things moment by moment little by little, saying, Lord, you are enough. So we started off today, didn't we, by saying that the Lord provides and that our choices are involved in that. What will our choices being involved in that look like? It will mean saying that in the little things, day by day, I will act in faith, grabbing you as my refuge, doing what you would have me do, knowing that you are big enough that your purposes are unstoppable and that you even want to use little old me, useless as I am, in your purposes 
to the end of the earth. That's no trite saying up there. God works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you want that, cry out to him now and say, Lord, today is the day of salvation. Be my refuge today and then on into the future. Let's pray together before we share at the table.